0: Welcome to Carrying Wayward, a supernatural podcast for fans who aren't ready to let go and newcomers to the series who are ready to jump in. I'm Drew Schulman
1: and I'm Marie Vigourou. In this episode, we're diving into Supernatural season 2 episode 13, Houses of the Holy. Let's get this show on the road. So, Drew, tell me, please, what did you think of this episode? Because I didn't warn you for this.
0: There was a part of me that, like, as soon as it started and it was like, oh, it's Angels. I'm like, I want it to be, but I know it's too soon.
1: Oh, no. Damn you, cultural osmosis.
0: But not even that. Just that, like, it's also, like, it fell too soon in the series to introduce them. Like, knowing... How long it takes before we really get to angels, from what I understand. This felt too soon to introduce the concept of them. But I like that it starts the conversation. The other thing this episode vaguely introduces, and I am praying we do get, because I know we do eventually get angels, obviously. Tell me we get unicorns. (laughs) Please. (laughs) I know Dean jokes about them, but tell me we get unicorns in this show at least once.
1: You know what? We actually do get one unicorn. Ah, Yes. Yeah, we we get a unicorn, actually. So... Hopefully you're happy about that. Are you ready to recap the episode? Count me in. Three, two,
0: one, go. We start with a cold open person gets like yelled at by an evangelist on the TV. And it turns out it's an angel telling her to do things. And then we find out that she just stabbed a dude in the heart because the angel told her so. This continues for most of the episode of angel shows up to people who seem to be like in pretty bad situations already and then tells them to kill someone. So they stabbed them in the heart. And we find out later that they actually were bad people. Uh, the brothers get into one of their classic arguments of it's an angel. No, it's a ghost. And unfortunately, Dean is right. It is a ghost, not angels. Sorry, we're getting there. Eventually, I know ghosts, uh, ghosts over angels eventually. But Sam is one of the people who gets air quotes here chosen by the angel to go do good deeds, which is interesting because everyone else before has been someone in a bad place. What does that say about Sam? Ooh, questions. And then ultimately it is a ghost. Sam does a ritual to raise the ghost and then a priest sends the ghost away and stops everything. And then Dean chases down the last person that Sam was told to go kill. And that person gets final destination to real good. Dean kind of admits he has questions about, you know, that of all things shook his confidence in angels, I guess, in God's will. And nothing else really comes up at the end of the episode. It kind of ends on that little note and time.
1: Okay. So first (laughs) I want to note the fact that you said that the man gets Gets Final Destination real good.
0: (laughs) I feel like that is one of those like cultural touchstones in our generation, at least of like this millennial age. We all at some point either saw that scene or the movie Final Destination 2. And I feel like that's just like even when I'm driving now, if I'm behind a truck that is like full of like rods or anything like that, I'm like, I'm gonna change lanes.
1: I don't think anybody really drives behind these trucks like willingly for very long and not anybody our age anyway.
0: Like I'm not gonna risk it.
1: It's a superstition, I guess.
0: With my recap, I I understand there's a lot of important points to bring up. How many did I hit or how many do we have to go over?
1: This episode has a lot of very strange foreshadowing, not only to seasons like just to come, so like four and five, but also very strangely to season 15. I know that there are some listeners who haven't seen the series in its entirety, who don't necessarily know what happens at the end. So I'm going to try to stay as mysterious as possible while still, (laughs) you know, talking to those who have seen it and who will understand the references. So first of all, like you said, we meet angels, or at least we hear about angels and the possibility of angels as, as an actual creature. And we find out a lot more about their lore, particularly about Michael. One thing again about angels that's super interesting to me in this episode, so early in the series is that the angels are making, or the angel quote unquote, right, is making contact with humans through TV evangelists. And like the moment where the, the, Again, quote unquote, angel appears. There's lights flickering. The ground is shaking. There are items that are shattering, and this is very reminiscent. And, and, and I mean, you know that angels do end up showing up. Like I think that that's just inevitable. That anybody would know that when angels do start showing up, like that's exactly how they show up.
0: I mean, I guess this 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 spirit played the role of an angel so well that it like it was it, it that's how well he did it. I mean. Even someone like I like for me, the biggest takeaway from the the ghost appearing as an angel was the idea that the, the, the the glowing light that filled you with like a kind of peace and warmth and sincerity or serenity, sorry. Like, is that a thing that all ghosts can do? Or is this one somehow special because he was trying to do God's work? Like, maybe there is some sort of angelic tie here?
1: It's never really explained, right? As you know from the episode. And it's never really touched upon again later. But this is not typical of what spirits would do. This is pretty dramatic, you know, for for a spirit. So... Yeah, this is definitely very out of the norm for the supernatural spirits that we see in this series. I also want to mention that the way that Gloria and Zach kill their victims is actually by stabbing them through the heart. Yeah, so for anybody who understands that reference, just remember that. Because again, we're talking about angels and stabbing through the heart. Another thing that I want to mention here is that the 13-year-old that the the second uh, victim, the fully grown man, was grooming, right? Her name was Jenny. The name Jenny becomes very important in season 15, particularly near the very end. So something that I've personally decided to do is to kind of track throughout the series whenever the name Jenny or Jennifer appears. And this is one of those times in this episode about angels. So, let's keep that in mind. Okay. Another thing that happens that's really strange is when Sam asks, uh, "Father, that's Michael, right?" He he's pointing at a painting that's behind Dean, and it really looks like he's pointing
0: directly
1: at Dean.
0: Yeah, so this came up in those like little facts on Amazon when you're watching, and I didn't I didn't read too much cuz it, it seemed a little spoilery. But I went back and rewatched that scene and I was like, oh, yeah, it really does look that way.
1: And this is the exact scene where we also find out about, quote unquote, Michael's flaming sword. So, again, we're going to keep that in mind. Sam is doing magic for the first time here, and I think that that's very noticeable or notable at the very least.
0: Yeah, because it really did feel different from other times, like an exorcist, uh, an, exor- an exorcism or some of the uh, like, traps they've done never really felt like doing magic. I think the closest we got was maybe the Ouija board scene when Dean is uh, a spirit. But this was very much like Sam on his own, especially doing a spell. Albeit with a SpongeBob placement.
1: There's an altar, there's candles. Like this is getting very close to like witchcraft that we know, right? So I feel like this is important because again, Magic and Sam tend to uh, intersect in in way later, later seasons though. So if we're recapping, this episode in season two gave us Angels, Jenny, Impalement, and God's Will. Again, for... Our listeners who have seen the end of the series, I am going to let you draw your own conclusions and scream with me on Twitter about this because (laughs) I couldn't I I jumped up and screamed at that last line. So anyway, we can talk about that when we get to story time.
0: Like, I feel like we're going to hit a point where we have to or I have to rewatch the entire series from start to finish once I finished it. Just to go back and notice the things that you've noticed so we can have like a shared like moment. So
1: that we can scream? Yeah, of course. Like this is definitely one of those times. I I was so upset when I watched it.
0: (laughs) Well, let's hop into story time so we can keep discussing this very interesting episode. So to start story time, I know this is in your notes, but it was the first thing that I noticed. And I'm just I'm really glad we both came to it is the fact that Gloria specifically says she was chosen. And of course, to Sam, who we have discussed at length, this chosen one complex of his, which only now am I remembering also indicated in this episode is he is again chosen by the air quotes angel. There's a part of me that wonders like. Does that play into his belief of angels even more?
1: This is actually a really interesting way to look at it. I hadn't, I really hadn't looked at it that way at all. For me, what jumped up the most was that she says that she was chosen for redemption. And that's something that also comes back. Uh, a little bit later, right? When Father Reynolds says the last rites for uh, Father Gregory, right? He says, you know, we could all use a little bit of redemption, right, Sam? Like, it's very pointed. So there's definitely something there. For me, it had more to do with him looking for redemption, and that's why the Spirit had chosen him. But I really like your read, though, of the fact that, like, being chosen helped him believe. And I find... Sam,
0: (laughs) but at the same time, if we just continue on that little bit of a train for a bit, I know we're jumping a little ahead of the story. We have two other very clearly confirmed people who are chosen, who ultimately do kill, uh, who are chosen by the angel. And the angel, the spirit even says, I picked people who needed a second chance to do good. I mean, I believe it is stated multiple times unnecessarily that Gloria is a sex worker. Uh, in much less polite terms, unfortunately, and it's implied that Zach is kind of a drugged out stoner drunk. From the looks of him, kind of lying in bed, like out, like z- zonked out. The spirit believes Dean, I uh, believe Sam is on the same level as them, as that he is like he needs to be redeemed. He's not. He's someone that needs to do good to be saved.
1: Do you think that that has to do with? Like the perception of others or their own perception of themselves?
0: I, oh, I mean, it's tough to say. If, if it's from the perspective of the spirit of Father Gregory, then it's he can see that within them? Or, or yeah, or is it their view of themselves?
1: Again, the way that I read it for Sam, and that sort of helped me to understand a little bit more like Gloria and Zach, was that Sam needs or wants redemption. And we've been talking about this for a few episodes now. So this wasn't new information for us. So if anything, I sort of felt like the spirit had seen that in him, more his need for redemption or his want for redemption, rather than like a potential evil in him, you know, because being a sex worker does not mean that you have evil in you.
0: What is father Gregory seeing in Sam? that makes him feel he's doing something the church doesn't see as right, that needs to be corrected and atoned for, like, you know, sex work or addiction. Is it maybe to do with decisions Sam has made that, is, that have led to the loss of people's lives? We've all sort of said Sam's had this weird kind of internalized, like, everything's my fault, anyone who dies, I could have saved them. Like, we also saw when he got drunk uh, a few episodes ago at the hotel. He blamed himself for not being able to save people. Is that what Gregory is seeing in him, this internalized everything's my fault which I think just ties into the chosen one complex even further
1: either from his own view th- through the lens of the church or through how Sam Zach and Gloria are perceiving themselves mm-hmm. either or okay yeah. so what did you think of the conversation between Sam and Dean where Dean basically says that angels are bullcrap
0: to quote Dean I think that conversation was bullcrap crap. <sighs>
1: Why? Tell me, tell me.
0: I mean, you ever have that moment where you're watching a show and you know the line that should be said next because it's the obvious argument, but then neither of them say it and you're like, really, you're just going to leave the easy answer on the table?
1: Okay, what was the easy answer?
0: How many times have they faced something for the first time and now it's just a thing they face on a regular basis? I mean, at every given moment, it's the first time they're facing something. I mean, vampires in this series... Was a first time facing vampires, but they they fully believe vampires is before that. But why not angels? Like, I understand Dean's point of like, he also goes into say, like, oh, no one else has seen them or no one else has encountered them or, you know, no one else has a story about them, which I guess kind of. eh. But at the same time, like how many creatures have they also faced for the first time that no one else has faced? Like, in a season and a half, how many times have they done it? A lot of times.
1: And I, I I, also feel like Sam sort of says that a little bit later, right? Where he's like, "There's we see so much.
0: It's like he circles the drain on that point, but just doesn't hit it perfectly for me, which I think just bugged me more. So I'm very much on Sam's side. Even... Not knowing angels exist, just the fact that so much does exist, to me, that is enough evidence that angels probably exist. Oh,
1: I mean, I fully agree. I remember I remember watching this episode and absolutely being on Sam's side about this. <laughs> and like, one thing that really strikes me is that when when Dean says, like, I believe in what I can see. Again, in past episodes and even in the past season, he's trusted his gut, even when there was very little physical evidence to confirm his intuition, right? So like, what's going on here, right? Like, I'm sort of wondering if Dean's not doubling down on this because of something else.
0: It's that whole argument of like, there's so much bad in the world, how could you believe something that good exists? And I think it's just a very pessimistic worldview Dean has, albeit kinda earned based on his life.
1: Yeah, exactly. Like I don't I'm certainly not blaming him for it. But I, I'm wondering also if there isn't a little bit of like Dean saying something but not really meaning it or saying something in order to convince himself of it because of what we learn at the end of the or like a little bit later in the episode about his mom.
0: I, I think that's part of it too. I think it's that we have that moment where he explains that, you know, clearly mom believed in them and they didn't save her so clearly they can't be real cuz why would they let that happen so i think there's a part where it's almost like he doesn't want to believe they're there because if he believes in angels and angels chose to let his mother die it's almost worse than if they existed or if they didn't exist at all
1: ironically given our entire conversation thus far yeah dean is right
0: another classic dean is right
1: <laughs> Another classic, Dean is right. It was not an angel, you know, and he puts the answer together instantly after finding out that Father Gregory had died recently. I just thought that that was really,
0: I don't know, I thought that was super cool. Just, just, I'd like to see Sam be right for once. I feel like Sam has Aww. very rarely been right. He's so smart. And I know. As soon as he starts butting heads with Dean, Dean is always the one with the right answer every time. Correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, so, you far, are anyway. the audience. Uh, so far, at least true. We have we have, uh, you know, 14 and a half seasons or 13 and a half seasons. I can't do math. Uh, hopefully Sam will be right at least once in that time. I, I predict so one or too. two, maybe. <laughs> maybe.
1: I am right. I am Sam. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Sam. Oh, Sam. Sam, um,
1: Sam, Sam.
0: But yeah, you're, but I will admit for one of those times where Dean is right, it's really well done.
1: It really is because as much as he, again, because we know that angels do show up in the show, like as much as he's right here, he's not right about angels not existing, right? But again, I'm not sure that he doesn't believe in them or that he doesn't believe that they could exist. I'm not sure about that because I I really do think that this is one of those cases where Dean is basically trying to convince himself of something here. And so we talked about that like briefly in the long game. But when Sam and Dean are talking to Father Reynolds about Michael and the angels, Sam does a lot of the talking. Dean is very silent. Like, do you have any thoughts about what's happening with Dean in that moment?
0: I think it's that moment of kind of like just like childhood wonderment of just like learning and like watching things you've never really seen before. I mean, here he is basically being told what angels actually are in the eye of the church and like not be like cherubic you know paintings we're used to in valentine's day and stuff and i feel like that's almost like giving him a chance to look at them and go like they're they're a little bit more of like a force to be reckoned with and not just a fairy tale and i think even in the description of angels being these you know this mysterious force sent by god to like vanquish evil it's It's kind of what they do.
1: But there you go. I think that he starts, like, seeing a little bit of himself in that description, right? I think he says, I think Father Reynolds says something like, uh, something about angels being fighters, warriors, defenders against evil and demons. Like, that's something that Dean can... Mess with, like he's he understands that, you know, like that's that's him, that's his life, that's Sam's life. And so to kind of see that happening or or see angels described that way, I think was really important for Dean. And there's also, again, like this anyway, could not have been planned, but like he makes a face when Father Reynolds says, like that he likes to think of angels as more loving than wrathful. Like, there's a very strange reaction that I don't know how to read. Again, knowing what happens later, like, I don't know how to read that reaction. I have so many questions about this episode, actually. (laughs) Like, I just, it's one of those things that just exists and that, for me anyway, I can't figure out. Because, again, like, it's hard to, to know exactly what the intention was with this. So, anyway... There we go. Let's move on to Sam seeing the quote unquote angel. Yeah, I just honestly, in that moment, I really felt for him. He really thinks that he's doing the right thing, that he's been chosen to do good. And really, like, he's been tricked.
0: I think this plays a few different ways. And I think throughout the episode, you kind of see different angles of it from for Sam and from Sam. In the idea that when it, you know, at first the being chosen to do good, here is a chance to a chance to redeem himself. You know, if he's been chosen to be this evil thing from yellow eyed demon, here is a chance to be chosen by a higher power to do good. You know, you can't be evil if you're good. That's just you can't be both one or the other. There's no gray.
1: That's also very Sam, right? Right Mm -hmm. now
0: very there black no and white gray yeah. in
1: his life. Yeah, exactly.
0: And then we ultimately have the end when he realizes it wasn't an angel and it was, he, he was tricked. And again, it kind of goes back to the whole, like, yeah, you can be chosen, but being chosen doesn't mean you're special necessarily. Like he has this complex that he has to save the world or save himself or be the hero. And here was your opportunity to do that. And it turns out it was not real and you were being lied to. And I think that in the moment is very much the, oh, I wasn't chosen by a higher power. This isn't real. I'm a nobody. But I also wonder if it doesn't at some point reflect on him that maybe this whole prophecy of the yellow-eyed demon and all that stuff is equally as possibly fake.
1: Okay, well, there's a lot in what you said that's actually Really interesting foreshadowing for future seasons, so I think I should stop the conversation here because it's hard for me to hold myself back
0: right now. Oh, no, I'm sorry to our listeners. You don't get to hear this. Hopefully, it'll come back to us later, but oh, no.
1: (laughs) Oh, no, indeed. (laughs) Another moment that, again, we've talked very briefly about before was when Dean tells Sam that Mary used to tuck him in at night and say that angels were watching over him and sam replies that dean never told him this and this for me like was a a very clear flashback to home where sam is learning something about like his own past and in his case like his own mother that dean never shared because it was too painful for him
0: you know it's 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 difficult to you know live in a world where you know the creature in the closet or under your bed is real But the thing that's meant to be protecting you so far hasn't been. And if anything, has been proven false almost more than anything else. That's hard, you know, for someone who grew up in a very gritty life and had to deal with so much trauma and turmoil and pain and suffering, you know, to try to continue to believe that the thing your mother told you was there to protect you has never shown its face, has never done its job. You know, you you lose faith.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, for sure, in this case, like, I completely understand what Dean is going through. I think that it's easy, easier to empathize with Dean in this case. But I, again, would like to center Sam a little bit because he's, he's like learning about himself, like, in little bits and pieces. Like, he knows nothing of his mother in part because Dean probably remembers very little, and he was four years old when she died, right? So there's only so much that you can remember and then pass on to to your little brother, but Sam doesn't remember anything. And so every little detail matters so much. And you know, again, I'm not blaming Dean for, for not sharing every detail because he, again, some of them might be too painful for him to share. And we know that Dean has trouble speaking in difficult moments, right? But for Sam to know that there may be other little bits and pieces of his mom that he doesn't know about and that Dean holds, like, quote-unquote, for himself, like, I don't know. I just, I again, felt very strongly for him in that moment.
0: Yeah, like, you know, you have to remember for a minute that he was, yes, ultimately raised by Dean, but his father was around and his father babied him quite a bit, especially as we've seen in the few flashbacks we've gotten that Sam was very much kind of treated with a bit of favoritism, you would, you would assume, you know, John, in the brief moments they had, would talk about their mother in a loving light and tell stories and would share those details, but clearly he didn't.
1: You know how when somebody dies, like, the way that people remember them sometimes is very idealized? And, like, you don't talk about the little things that they used to do, you only talk about how great a person they were? And I feel like that, John would do that. Right? Like, John wouldn't talk about what she would cook. He would just say, like, she was the best mother ever. You know, like, he wouldn't be very (laughs) verbose about it, right? John (laughs) would
0: be the very broad, she was the best and she loved you. And Dean would be the one remembering, like, she used to make the best scrambled eggs.
1: So I think that for Sam, like, you know, knowing that she was the best person ever, like, okay, sure, that's great. But, like, what's something concrete that I can you know, hang on to, to feel close to my mom. What I really, honestly, like if we're looking at this episode narratively as a whole, like one thing that I really love about it is that it confronts Sam and Dean with like evidence that completely contradicts the beliefs that they hold at the beginning of the episode. So like Sam's faith is confronted with like what looks like misguided free will right like oh no the spirit did that of its own free will and people did that of their own free will it wasn't it wasn't fate or or anything like that it wasn't an angel whereas dean's skepticism on the other hand is confronted with well what looks like fate
0: like i love that angle i love the idea of both them kind of being forced to reckon with their beliefs and i do like that ultimately the end result is dean's realization that Maybe he witnessed God's will in some way and kind of reaffirming to Sam that maybe he was wrong in the long run. Like, you know, yeah, I was right now, but maybe there's more. It feels like Dean wanted to see it more than he was shown it.
1: Well, maybe because he wants to believe.
0: That's what I'm thinking, though.
1: Maybe he wants to have faith at the end of the day, you know? Like,
0: like, I, I'm just gonna put it out there. Like, yes, it's a pretty bizarre way to go and to witness this, especially knowing what you know that you were told to chase this person down and stop them from doing something. And here they were, like, you know, like cosmic intervention stepped in and took them out mm-hmm. in a very, like, the will of God type way. Th- like, to someone who is truly skeptical, that would just be a weird coincidence. It'd have to be, like, maybe the third or fourth time that you saw this happen, that you go, okay, maybe there's something here. But the fact that Dean switches so quickly, there's, like, that little, like... You you said it earlier, and I kind of doubted it, but now that we're talking about it, I think I've been swayed. I think there really is a part of Dean that, like, w- is lying to himself and wants to believe it.
1: Of course. Oh, Dean. I, I mean, I re- I'm like, I'm like <laughs> of course I'm right, but, like, that's not what I mean.
0: Okay there, Sam. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I am right. I am Sam, um, but uh, I just like you know that face that people make when they're like, "Oh no," I, or or when they I don't know when somebody blatantly tells like a white lie about something that's really unimportant, like, "Oh no, I don't really like ice cream," and you're like. Mm-hmm. Are you like, is this real? Or are you just like trying to convince yourself because you don't want to eat too much of it right now? Like, what's what are you doing? Mm -hmm. And like, that's the face that he makes in that moment to me. So I anyway,
0: overall story wise, I I like where this one ends. I feel like we get a good bit of growth on both brothers. We get uh, so much information, even if it is kind of not immediately evident from the sounds of it. But uh, I'm very, very intrigued. I was very happy with this episode overall.
1: I have one last sort of thought or question about this episode. Well, just because, again, like the last time that we had this big a conversation about faith and free will was in faith in season one. And so it makes me wonder, like, what, what evolution are we seeing in the boys from faith until now?
0: So let's try to reset ourselves. I'm trying to do a little bit of mental reset here. So in Faith, we very much had Sam believing what he was doing was right, even though it did cause someone else's death. And Dean very much in the realm of, like, leave leave it alone, which we kind of go back to a few times with this whole not being able to die.
1: Yeah, and just to add quickly, like, Sam is also technically tricked by somebody who pretends to be something that they're not. Oh, not Roy, yeah. but, but Sue Ann.
0: Mm-hmm. So here we are again, Sam believing, you know, putting his faith into a higher power that he believes is right, only to find out at least this time before it's too late that it was not what it was, you know, supposed to, what it claimed to be. But the difference this time is whereas Dean last time saw this as a, you know, a karmic mistake, now he is seeing someone's life taken, but I never want to say deserved, but like who was almost intended to die, still die in a weird happenstance that seems unlikely otherwise. And this time it feels like Sam really feels more hurt by it than he did in faith. I feel, I feel like faith. He still felt it was worth it because he saved his brother, but here he just feels betrayed where the reverse is in faith. Dean was very, you know, this was wrong and I hate that it happened and that he had to stop someone else you know, having their lives saved. But here he is seeing the outcome happen regardless and wondering maybe there's something out there, you know, unseen force. They kind of, yeah, they kind of switch. Ooh.
1: I just find it interesting here that we're seeing such a, a a clear evolution in these two episodes that both sort of happened mid series, right? Or mid season.
0: Interesting. Well, on that note, shall we go to critical time? Yes, please. And as has become common practice, shall you let me know who our writer and director were for this episode?
1: This is where it gets a little spicy. The writer of this episode is Sarah Gamble, who wrote Dead in the Water, Faith. Oh no. Nightmare, Salvation, Bloodlust, and Crossroads Blues. And so we're starting to see, like, this is why I love this exercise, because we're starting to see that Sarah is actually like the big guns of seasons one and two. Like when you look at the episodes that she's written, they're very, very important. And honestly, like those are really some of my favorite episodes in seasons one and two. So I, yes, again, a wonderful and weirdly foreshadowing episode. By Sarah Gamble. We also have the director, Kim Manners, who directed Dead in the Water, Bugs, Scarecrow, Shadow, Devil's Trap, In My Time of Dying. Children shouldn't play with dead things. So again, like another powerhouse here. So a very good combination. And again, we could have known that this was Kim Manners because we saw the Ackles Freckles. (laughs) (laughs)
0: yes they were more visible i did note that
1: they were more visible i don't know what it is maybe maybe he used to say like no not not that much makeup like his freckles we need to see his freckles
0: (laughs) like choosing the like always like i imagine like on set spending time positioning him perfectly okay we're gonna shoot like right the lighting like this and then just jensen looking going it's the freckles again isn't it (laughs) (laughs) shush 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 (laughs)
1: <laughs> the title of this episode is also named after Led Zeppelin's 1973 album and a 1975 song that they wrote.
0: Again, just a, a, again, this episode has some really good music cues in it too, which is also really fun. And with knock, knock, knocking on heaven's door, like perfectly timed up, like just really well done.
1: I mean, you could put that song over anything and I would just be like bawling. So I feel like that's just tugging at our emotions.
0: <laughs> I'll just be very frank, not a fan of that song otherwise, weirdly. Like I like when it's used well in movies, but like on its own, it's doesn't really do it for me. That song, it needs to be like tied to an emotional scene Uh, and here it worked. But I do like the Led Zeppelin tie in again, just kind of like really digging at the roots of like that classic rock music that is so them and probably does explain why I was very confused about the title being, you know, houses of the holy versus house of the holy. Like where did the plural come from? And I guess just because the song title,
1: I think so. I really do think that it has something to do with the with the song itself or, or the album or whatever. So I guess we're going to start a segment that's called Herbology with Mary, because there's another plant that this production did not represent properly, and that's wormwood. So what we're seeing on uh, Father Gregory's grave, I suppose, is a vine, right? It looks very viney. But like wormwood... I mean, I'm I'm exaggerating here because it's not exactly that. But the way that I would describe it to somebody who doesn't really know plants is like it's very tall parsley, Italian parsley. So it's really not at all what it looks like on the show.
0: It didn't hit me. I'll be very honest, and I, I mean, we'll talk about it. Uh, we, we'll we'll touch on that weirdly during my crosswords deal. But really, weirdly, yes, wormwood is my crosswords deal. We'll get to that. Um. But yeah, no. Like I, I'm come to think of it, I've I've heard of Wormwood many times through many different stories and books and comics, even. But like, yeah, I never thought what it looks like. So when you showed me some vines that this is Wormwood, I was like, sure, Dean.
1: That's the whole thing, right? Like supernatural, I find a lot of the time takes advantage of the fact that like it's stuff that people haven't really heard about. Like let's just let's just fudge it. it; doesn't matter, and that's fine until somebody knows better.
0: <laughs> so on that same topic. You will find in our notes and our listeners as well will find this in the description of the episode. If you are somewhere where you can safely open this link and follow along with us, please do. If you are driving or operating heavy machinery, maybe try later. But there is a link and I will ask you to click on it, not to scroll, but just to click on it. And we're going to go through there. There's five images on the page, but really it's the four actual in the article that matter. So. If you can scroll down to the first image that is label uh, that is under the heading of a cherubim, well, I'll explain what we are what we were seeing to our listeners as best we can without wasting too much time. I have come to learn not too long ago, and I have found very interesting that the way angels are described in the Bible itself is rather interesting and not what you would expect. So I have found a lovely article. I have verified most of the sources because again, these are what I've already studied as well. So I know this pretty well backwards and forward and this is a good example of what I already wanted to sum up for Mary here. And that is the four basic classes of angel that the Bible does describe very clearly. So the first one is the cherubim. Which was later shortened to Cherub and is often depicted as what we would consider like Cupid, that cute little baby with a diaper and the little wings and a bow and arrow. The way they are described in the Book of Ezekiel, and if you're looking at the picture with me, Mary, and any listener, is depicted depicts them as having four faces: that of a lion, an ox, an eagle, and a human. They have straight legs, four wings, and bull hooves for feet. And if you look at the picture, like right away, there's like a guy in the middle with like a halo kind of thing, and it's like oh, like an angel. Then you realize the two things next to him, these weird like winged monstrosities no those are the angels (laughs) if we scroll down to the next one this this picture may actually look pretty familiar surprisingly yes this is literally the photo of michael and his sword that is up in the church they reference
1: the the photo that they're actually representing is one with his uh the lance of michael funny enough it's not his sword that he has in his hand it's the lance hmm
0: well here we do have the sword uh, to paraphrase this section, this is kind of the most classic depiction of an angel. Surprising, though, if you look at the picture, there's one detail that's been added to this painting or this uh, this illustration that is not described in the Bible, and that is the wings. Though they are described as being human-like in the Bible, there is no mention of them having wings ever, and they were added later by artists as just to kind of show that they are divine or like of a higher people. But this is where our most common depiction of an angel comes from, is this human-like uh, warrior of God. So... At least in the lore of Supernatural, they are right, and the depictions are very much based off classical, you know, 4th century artists, or mid-3rd century. But again, we as we saw with the previous one with the cherub, wings are a pretty common theme, and they will continue into our next one, which is the seraphim, which I feel is a fairly well-known term for an angel. Mary, could you describe this photo to our listeners and what you are looking at?
1: Uh, I'm looking at a human-like face with one, two, three, four, five, six different wings, I guess are those is that what it is?
0: It is six pairs of wings, two for flight and the other uh, two pairs for covering its head and its feet, allowing you only see its face. Three
1: pairs in total, right?
0: Yeah. Sorry. So a pair for covering its, its, its upper half, a pair for covering its lower half. So all you see is the face and then a pair for actual flight. So that is the, um, another very classic and properly described version of an angel again, described specifically in the Bible. Would you be weird if I told you the last one is still the weirdest one?
1: I, I, <laughs> I will believe anything at this point.
0: So if we scroll down to our final one, the Ophanim often also called the wheel. This is literally a wheel with wings.
1: Yes, actually this is one, two, three, four, five wheels, I guess.
0: Each one of these wheels is an angel or an Ophanim. Uh, These are apparently the most like close to God in the order of the angels. They are the highest up there. But I just love the fact that we have this vision of an angel based on like popular media and culture of like this winged human. You know, even going as far back as the Greeks with their images of the gods, they were winged people. And, you know, when you look at the Bible and really get a good reading of what these angels are, I just love to share the fact that they are a bunch of like with the exception of like one that is basically human, the rest are just like weird winged atrocities.
1: (laughs) Doesn't quite surprise me because what I seem to understand of the Bible anyway, and like what's written versus what we understand today, quite different things. The message has been interpreted and interpreted and translated and interpreted and then translated again and then interpreted and then interpreted not so much for good. And then some words were changed in order to suit political agendas etc. So I'm not really surprised to learn this. And I didn't know also that the, the show does touch upon that when the angels do show up that like, when they're when, to a certain degree, they, they say that like, in order for angels to be on earth, they need to be they need to have a human vessel, but that their true form is something quite different.
0: I have seen other media play with that concept as well. The idea that a, you know, we are we are beyond your comprehension. We need to take a form you will understand. So we've chosen this more human looking form, which I, I genuinely feel is a good way to work around it, both from a how do we cast a bunch of wheels with wings <laughs> to <laughs> without really bad CG. I just felt as we approached angels for the first time, even if only in theory, because they aren't actually in this episode other than a fake out i i had this in my back pocket for a while and i wanted to share it and i feel like we'll get into some better angel lore down the road within the series so this seemed like a nice place to drop some weird angel lore for you and our listeners
1: <laughs> always i am always down for weird angel lore <laughs>
0: <laughs> and with that shall we uh, head over to the community and see what they have to share with us today
1: yes please
2: hey guys i love the show as someone who has seen all of Supernatural and was, for lack of a better word, devastated by the ending, it has been nice to go back along with you guys to see and analyze everything again from this new lens. I just listened to your Pride special and I wanted to take a moment to talk about what by Dean means not only to the people in the fandom, but for me personally. Dean is an amazing and complex character on so many levels, not just his sexuality. The depth to the character of Dean Winchester is unparalleled in media, in my opinion. And that is exactly why it meant so much to the people in the LGBTQ community to have a character that is so nuanced and established, especially the bisexual community. Bi people are so often erased from the conversation as either being straight but looking for attention or being gay and not admitting it usually the first being attributed to bi women and the second being attributed to bi men. Many people are quick to point out that Dean's not gay, he's been with women, so he can't be bi, which completely erases what bisexuality is. Yes, Dean is very openly attracted to women, but as a bi person in the closet, what else of himself does he have to show? It's the only part he can feel comfortable putting out into the world, so he excessively puts it out there. I am bisexual myself and have always struggled with my identity because while I am attracted to more than one gender, I have mostly ever been with cis men. I grew up in a very conservative, Christian, small town, so it's not like I had many options. I planned on branching out more into myself in college, but oops, fell in love with my soon-to-be husband right away, so... which I am very, very thankful for, but I feel like Dean never got the opportunity to branch out either. He First, he was under the thumb of his abusive father, then dealing with the trauma that his abuse brought on, along with the next trauma and the next, and so on and so forth. It's shown almost explicitly to a queer eye through Dean's repeated bi pride flag color motif, specific directorial decisions and acting decisions from Jensen that Dean is bi and never truly embraced that side of himself, if not being full-on consistently ashamed of it for the majority of the series. It would have meant so much to me if Dean was allowed to speak his truth and explicitly state that he was bisexual and in love with the only person it made sense for him to have any sort of true romantic connection with and I would be glad to go on a rant about that relationship and character later. In media, it is so common for queer characters to not have a happy ending or just die, aka barrier gaze. It has honestly been a struggle to name queer characters that actually have a happy ending. It doesn't happen often and honestly makes me and I'm sure others feel like we as queer people do not and will never deserve a fully happy ending while living our true selves. Not getting too much into the ending of the show, I think such a long-standing queer character who has struggled with so much for so long have that moment of truth and have a happy ending as a bisexual man would have meant so much to so many people, including me. Thanks for listening. I can't wait to hear your guys' thoughts on the rest of the series. Listening to y'all work it out is really quite cathartic. (laughs) Thanks.
0: If I can respond to that lovely voicemail right away, just yes. (laughs) So much yes. (laughs) I just mean, from uh, every aspect of it, there is... You're right, there is such... Like, I'm, I sat here thinking, like, oh, you'd be really cool if I can come up with a list of, like, media that represents, you know, gay, bi, and other spectrums of the queer, you know, people in the right way in these great pieces of media and shows. And, like, I can barely think of any. Like, I've got, like, a few, and I will tweet them out later and make a list. But, like, it is really tough. Like, even my favorite one does end with a couple dead, albeit a happy ending, which is weird. I'll explain. But also your point about Dean, he's... Such a rich character. Like, I've only been with him for a season and a half. And I know there's the bias of we are sitting here and analyzing him every week to like the smallest detail. But the fact that there is that much to analyze and that much to discuss in only a season and a half yeah, this is a really great character with so many interesting choices from, like you said, the writing, the directing, the acting choices. And I, I mean, I know, I know the end result. I've heard it enough times through discourse that just the ending is not what it should have been. And, you know, it's not fair for Dean, but it's also not fair for the queer community to have this character in a rally behind and then sort of just be like pushed away and told no. So I really am glad that we can help you, you know, catharsize with the show and reconnect and see all this again and feel like there's someone on your side because from what I've seen from our listeners there's a lot of people who see this the way that we do and I'm proud to be a part of that community.
1: Yeah, thank you thank you so much Emily for your for your voicemail. It was really it was really lovely. It's always nice to hear from people who also speak openly about how difficult the finale and the ending of this of this the series has been. I feel like I'm bumbling a little bit because it's always tough for me to talk about it and I've been quite open about this the ending really hurt me. I think I said before, like it hurt me in ways that I didn't know it did. And it's true. It really did. Because again, listening to other people's experiences, I'm like, oh my God, I feel that too. Like I get that. One thing that is so, so special about Dean too, and me being, I'm, 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 I guess, close to my mid thirties. And so to see like a, um, quote-unquote middle-aged character who is still closeted but like on the verge of maybe coming out to himself and to others was just like such a thrill. In your message you say that it would have meant the world and it's so true. It would have meant the world to me to see him actually come out and to see him be received by his friends and family and loved ones. I I would have loved to see that. It's really not something that would have been possible given like the given the idea that the network had of the show and the particular audience that they wanted to attract. So, you know, we got the ending that we did. And I think one thing that's important to talk about here is that a lot of the discourse afterwards from people said that, "Oh, you know there is representation in supernatural. there's this character and this character and this character. Why do all characters need to be gay and of course, like this is a very bad faith argument, but it gives you an idea of of the thoughts of of some of the viewers. i'm like no i'm I'm not happy with that representation. It's never uh, hold on i need a I need a moment I'm getting angry. <laughs> <laughs> To not allow a character that has been coded as bi from the very beginning, and I say this confidently now, from the very beginning, Dean has been coded as bisexual, and to not allow him to come out is violence. It is violence, period. And so I was so happy to hear your thoughts echo mine here, because it was... You know, sometimes you sort of wonder, you're like, is this, was this really important? Like, am I making a big deal out of this? Like, am I, am I? So thank you for your voicemail. And yes, please send us another, another voicemail. Once we get, uh, once we get to quote unquote, that relationship. I'm very excited about that.
0: Shall we head on down to the crossroads, make some deals? Yes. So I said weirdly before that my crossroads would kind of deal with the wormwood and my crossroads deal would have been that there was no wormwood or any plant there for that matter.
1: Oh, okay. I'm listening. I
0: think this episode plays so much on the idea of faith that the inclusion of that moment of Dean going, Hey, this is whether or not it actually is, as you pointed out, wormwood, clearly it's eventual spirit. That's why it's here. And none of the other graves have it. And that we have this great argument between Sam and Dean about Faith in something, and ultimately, the end faith being shaken about something that I think the idea of just believing was what we needed to. And as soon as you started throwing in, like, oh, here's my empirical evidence, one way or the other, it just felt unnecessary. Like, if you erased that entire, like, two second clip from the episode and played out the rest the same, the only difference is us, the viewer, would have longer to go where we had to debate whether or not it was an angel. At that moment, you're like, okay, clearly it's a ghost. Dean's right. Everything beyond this point is no longer a surprise. They're just playing it for, like, the drama now. But had they not played us that scene, had they excluded that one small detail, it would have been a nail-biter up until the reveal, where we had Sam go, oh, it's a ghost. Because I was fully convinced by Dean.
1: Well, I mean, the reality is that he was going on faith before, that it was a spirit, right? Like, he likes to, uh, Dean likes to say, oh, no, I need evidence. But, like, he was convinced that it was a spirit with very little evidence to begin with, right?
0: So giving giving him evidence just, you know, it, it just furthered his story, his being right. And he raised Sam's story of having faith. And even by the end, Dean's story of faith.
1: Okay, so you would just cut that out then?
0: Literally just pick those weeds, get rid of them.
1: Okay, take the weeds and get rid of them. Okay, cool. But like, what? What's? What are you exchanging?
0: I feel like it's a pretty fair exchange. I'm asking them to take away a scene involving evidence and play up the mystery more. You know, have more doubt, have more moments of them conversing whether or not why they believe it versus why they don't believe it.
1: I I agree with that, and I have to say though, I'm having a very hard time making a deal about this episode because narratively, I thought it was great. <laughs> So of course, like your, your, your deal is, is good and and wonderful, but I don't know. I don't know what I, what I would, what I would wish for because this was a really good episode. So I guess I get, you know what? Okay. I'm going to go with something unconventional. Ooh! I wish that this episode had happened in season three, that would have made it closer to the appearance of angels in season four. And so it would have felt more like direct foreshadowing. Than whatever this was, because I think one of the things that I've I had been th- been thinking about a lot since rewatching the episode is that what was the goal of this? And I'm not talking narratively; I'm talking like on a production standpoint. Were they testing angels to see how people reacted? Were they testing like Christian religious lore? What's going on there? Because we we see later that the show starts leaning heavily and almost exclusively on Christian religious lore. So like, what was the point of this episode so early? Because I've read interviews, and we'll link them in the show notes, of Eric Kripke saying that he didn't want angels.
0: Yeah, I believe you've said this before, yeah.
1: Right, there you go. It would be too easy to have a, a powerful being swoop in and save them at the last second. But then why this episode that hints at angels so much? And that ends up setting a foundation for the lore of the show literally for like seasons four all the way through 15. So I, I would like, I would have liked to see it in season three or maybe to have some answers from the showrunners and whatnot about like, why, why, why this episode? Why now?
0: That, that is very intriguing to think, like, what was their logic behind this episode? Like, what was the reason to do angels as lore? I mean, there are so many unexplored angles. And if the show is already kind of, I guess, maybe if you had a showrunner who was very like, hey, no, let's not do the angel route. This was a way to put them in the show and make you at least wonder about them and kind of have a, a nice mysterious ending. But the fact that, as you have stated, so much of the lore from this episode kind of becomes a staple for season four onward really makes me wonder.
1: It really does for me too. And, you know, I rarely care about intentionality or, you know, authorial intent. But in this case, I really do wonder. You know, it's one of yeah. those things where I, I wish I could pick Sarah Gamble's like brains about it.
0: Well, uh, Sarah, if you're listening, uh, you know, hit us up. Our email's at the end of every episode. You can find us pretty quickly on social and uh, <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll organize a time that's good for you where we're flexible.
1: Oh my goodness, imagine if Sarah Gamble were to reach out to us. I would die. I would actually die. Like, I would (laughs) liquefy. Like, I would poop myself. (laughs) (laughs) You've been listening to Carrying Wayward, a supernatural podcast produced by Rochelle Castellano, hosted by Drew Shulman and myself, Marie Vigouroux. This week, we'd like to thank Emily for her message. Help us keep the conversation going. You can send us a voice recording at carryingwayward at gmail.com and follow us on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube using at Carrying Wayward. Make sure to leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. We really love to grow our community. And until next week.
0: Carry on our wayward friends.
1: In this episode, we're diving into supernaturals. Okay, hold on. I hesitated. I was like, is it supernatural? I don't know. Is it? What show okay. are we doing? It's is it It is supernatural that we've been talking about for eight months nonstop, right? Yeah. Okay. <laughs>